0: Welcome to FEO on the air, the voice of the festivals and events industry in Ontario. Please welcome our CEO and your host, Dave McNeil.
1: Welcome to FEO on the air. Today we're going to talk a little bit about risk management, emergency preparedness. We've got Eric Davidson and Peter Locke from Event Insure and Amy Wilkinson from Signature Live with us. They're they're looking at, at our events from an insurance point of view. Um, the importance of emergency preparedness obviously it's your wheelhouse it's what you guys are all about Um, what's the importance of of risk management from an insurance point of view
0: for the brokerage side of it for me if you have a risk or if you have an emergency procedure plan in place it shows to me that you've thought of potential risk that could go on and it's not just I'm gonna throw on throw a big party and nothing's gonna happen to me it's you're actively being proactive so that's, that for me is just an automatic experience level, okay, is higher than just the average Joe. But then at that point, going deeper into the emergency procedure plan, is it accurate? Is it good? Is it to what extent does it go? Is it one page? Is it 50 pages? Usually I say if you have anything, it's, it's, it's a good start, but we can
2: always add to it. Just expanding on what Eric had to say there. Um, I think the emergency procedure, having one in place, it's to mitigate further uh, incidents. Obviously, if you have to enact your emergency plan, something's gone wrong. So the procedure is to prevent, um, I I, I guess, handle what's happened, but also prevent um, further damage from occurring. So um, just planning, executing and responding to what's happened are are very key.
1: And in that emergency preparedness, how far do you guys feel you have to go? I I know as a person who ran events, I was always a three deep guy. That Mm -hmm. if something happened, uh, first, I'm going to do this. And if that wasn't enough, I'm going to go to plan B. And if I still need another one, I've got plan C. And after that, I mean, it's infinity, right? You can go on and on and what ifs can kill you. But if you're, to me, to my way of thinking is if you were always three deep, you've kind of thought of potential problems that can continue to build. Yeah, no,
0: three's definitely a good number. If you want to go four or five, sure. As long as those first three are good options, but if step one is very minimal and step two is just a little bit more and step three is a little bit more than that, then it might need four or five. But if step one should do the job and if it doesn't, then you always have the backups and that should be good.
1: And again, in Ontario, uh, and when we're dealing with large numbers of people, we're probably alcohol is involved. For most events in the area, you're working with the AGCO, you're working with your local police force, you're working with your your security team. And each of them have safety and security plans that you have to meet not only minimum requirements, but, you know, you have to make sure that your plan is proper. And I mean, you might wonder why do I have to have 60 off-duty police officers at my event? If everything goes well, you may not have had yeah. to engage any of them. Yeah. If you've got to evacuate a hundred thousand people in 15 minutes, you might wish you had another 60. That's <laughs> right. So are, in your process, are you going through each cycle and looking at what's a potential problem and what are the solutions to that problem? It's not just guns and knives and. Yeah.
0: yeah you you got to look at your emergency procedure as it's an ever, it's always being developed. You know, if, if something happened the year before and you recognize it, make sure it's in your procedures the next year or even the next day, because, again, events are always changing. But if you don't learn from the past, you're just setting yourself up for the for failure in the future, really. So you got to always be updating it. And sometimes, you know, we said that risks have been changing over the last ten years. Something on page one might be old news that you don't have to have it in there because your event doesn't do that anymore
2: so you can take it out as you mentioned it's not just guns and knives there could be emergency or sorry medical incidents that take place in the middle of a crowd how do you sort of clear a spot for um emt or whoever to come in and and assist Um, and there could be a a whack of things we just want to make sure um, that there is something in place where um communication is is there um it's calm, assertive, informative, and it's well-managed just to alleviate, again, any further uh, incidents from occurring.
1: And I know in in the past, uh, you know, at a major event, we always had what we called the safety and security meeting that we brought all of those people together with your local police, your security teams, your EMTs, and we all identified potential risk and the AGCO was involved in that. So that part sort of takes care, not of itself, Yeah. But, you know, through your fire marshal and everybody else, they've identified all of those exit risks and and what you have to have to to make sure that you're following the letter of the law. What are some other things in that emergency preparedness that you have to think of? For example, backing up your servers, um, you know, all of your stuff in your the files in your office. Yeah, that
0: there again, you should be actively backing stuff up, like all your data. That's more behind the scenes. It's not on the front lines of the actual event itself. In the emergency procedure plan, just remember if you're serving alcohol at your event, whatever steps that you have, there's something gonna go wrong because you may have, because alcohol is involved. <laughs> um, it's always more difficult when alcohol is there. It's It slows things down. People get disoriented, if you wanna put it that way. They make it brave and do something that they shouldn't be doing. If you think that your plan is locked down perfect and nothing can penetrate it, I can guarantee you that there's holes to be poked in it.
1: Aaron, what are you looking for from a, an insurer? What are what do you want to see in that emergency preparedness plan?
3: Um, again, it's just that even just knowing that you had a round table discussion with all of these these major people who are involved in keeping the event secure, you know that's that's half the battle um when you have different perspectives like that you're all you're kind of trying to get all the exposures from all sides so that's that's definitely very comforting um so definitely even if it doesn't seem important to you or or you know something you might forget tell your broker so they can tell us and um it's just all that information is is something that needs to be relayed and i think a lot of people forget or just you know push it to the side thinking it's not important so that's any any steps you've taken that's very important for us
1: so again that discussion with your broker you might mm-hmm. think that you do this <laughs> routinely yeah not knowing that it could have a positive a effect, effect on your insurance so yep. you make sure that all of these offsite meetings that you're having or group meetings that you're having with your team
3: mm-hmm. again inundate date with details um, we like details it just it it helps us to understand that you understand what needs to be done in in certain situations and and that you're prepared for it.
1: And the other the other thing that I always talk to about to people in in the event world is it's one thing having a plan and it's great having it on paper but if it's just your senior management team that knows about it and nobody owns or is responsible for the plan and and different teams and different committees don't have a certain piece and responsibility. It's making sure that everybody knows about it and that everybody knows the process of, you know, if, if this goes wrong, this is what we do. Because if you're relying on memory or, or something and you're in the the heat of battle and something goes wrong, you've got enough stresses on you already. Yeah. Then to go back and, Oh, I remember we talked about this, but what do you do? So it's really making your team prepared and, and, apprised of elements.
2: Communication is the key here because it's one thing to sit around a table and say, okay, we're going to do this, but when um, rubber meets the road and the actual incident occurs, if people freeze up because for- even one person has forgotten what they're supposed to do, uh, that could um, sort of set back the whole procedure. So you want to make sure you're communicating Uh, everyone's on board on the same page. So when something does happen, um, it's succinct and everyone's uh, pulling the same rope. Yeah, and
1: everybody does it a little differently. I remember one organization I was involved in, our emergency preparedness was so deep that it had, if our building burned down, what happens? Mm -hmm. Well, we've got phone lists, we've got all the managers, we've got all of our departmental contacts. We've got a location set up in a hotel that in their vault, They've got backup discs. and yep. So, I mean, that that's how far and how wide you should think about it.
3: Absolutely. And the, even if the festival you think is teeny tiny and, you know, this stuff couldn't happen, things happen regardless of the size. And, and educating your employees and your volunteers is is the best way. You know, the volunteers are on the front lines. They're the ones who are, you know, usually handling all you know the crowd control and and making sure that you know there are no issues so you know you don't you wouldn't want a volunteer to um basically throw their hands up and say i don't don't know what to do in this situation so the communication piece you know should be trickled down from the top to the bottom basically
0: yeah to go on that when everyone knows what they're doing and it's been communicated properly people the people who are supposed to be directing uh, people who've come to the events it's important that they stay calm because if they're not calm people who are trying to get out of there to save their life are gonna start freaking out and then it's just total chaos so as long as everyone knows what they're doing and even you know whoever's running it right at the very top if he starts freaking out or, or she then next level management is gonna start freaking out and then it's just gonna trickle down and then you got that volunteer who's trying to get their 40-hour service for for high school they're going, what am I doing now? And they just start freaking out as well. So it, it is the trickle effect. And as long as everyone knows what they're doing and stays calm, it should go pretty smoothly.
1: And I think it's important to watch what's going on around you too. Like risk management's not new, but in the festival and event world, like we were talking about, you know, the Vegas shooting, the, yep. the up over the curbs and the, the Danforth, and each of those things now makes you look at your festival different. Um, you know terrorist risks and and attract what could potentially happen and I know partnering with your local police force and stuff like that those are the people that can identify potential problems for you and identify that risk I know certainly at Festival Events Ontario um, risk management's become very important at our conference um, you know in some of our master classes people want to know what should I be looking for other than just the security aspect of it. How do yeah. I protect my company, my festival, and, and everything else? Yeah. Yeah. What, are, what are some other things that people should include in that uh, emergency preparedness plan? I would like to know contacts, main contacts. Say you're running an event,
0: and to know if something happens, who's going to be the first person contacted? Do you want to be the first person contacted, or do you want um, your risk management uh, manager to be contacted first? Or do you want the police to be contacted first, or the EMT the fire, as long as, because you can't be everywhere at any given moment, you gotta have a list of who would be contacted in each scenario. Now, if your building's on fire, for example, like we were talking about, you may not contact the EMT, you may wanna contact the fire department first. <laughs> so it's it's just clearly laying it out. Um, again, I think I've said it probably 100 times on this, or even to other clients, it doesn't have to be complicated. As long as you have something in place, that's better than nothing.
4: Yeah,
1: and and it doesn't have to be complicated, but it should be fairly detailed, right? And think through each of the steps and each of the processes. We're talking risk management on FIU on the air back
4: in just a minute. Festivals and Events Ontario supports a lively, engaged, and dedicated festival and events industry. Purchase your Festivals and Events Ontario membership today and get a team of people working to help you succeed. Here's just a few benefits that membership provides. Promotion, saving money, networking, industry awards, supplier discounts, communications, skills development, and so much more. So many benefits, so little cost. Buy your membership today. Contact us now, Debbie, at festivalsandeventsontario.ca.
0: The voice of festivals and events in Ontario. Feel on the Air continues. Here again is our host, Dave McNeil.
1: We're back with Theo on the air. We're talking risk management. Eric Davidson and Peter Locke from Event Insure and Aaron Wilkinson from Signature Live join us. We're going to do a little mock procedure here to see how some of these risks affect uh, an insurance policy. So uh, we're going to have Eric and Peter throw out uh, a few scenarios and then we're going to put Aaron on the spot (laughs) to identify how they affect the risk of your policy. So, Eric, let's throw out a a couple of different scenarios.
0: Okay. So, we'll do an outdoor music event. We'll say approximately 100,000 attendees and put it on for five days with, obviously, music entertainers all day, every day, and uh, food, liquor, overnight stay and we'll we'll say it's downtown toronto <laughs> okay <laughs>
1: just to make it a little more difficult. okay peter do you want to Fine. throw a couple curves in yeah, there for aaron say. just so uh
2: okay and it's taking place on toronto island so uh i'll give her the transportation uh, aspect of that as well um and uh, yeah so i think i think that's probably enough <laughs> yeah so okay too. so aaron you've got you've got the
1: details from the team all right how, how does this how do you go about now getting your policy and, and identifying potential risks
3: so, other than running away screaming, um, <laughs> i just kidding. Um, basically, you just you start with that basic information. So, you know, the location. Yeah, did you write it all down? Thank you. Kind okay. of. Okay. Um, so outdoors, you know, you you have to have obviously for a hundred thousand people, you're going to have to have space for a hundred thousand people. Um, so that's where the site plans come in. Uh, we need to know where things are going to be and that they are going to be there. So. Um, if you so have if s-
1: you're if you're an event organizer mm-hmm. and you're organizing this event, yeah. you've gone through a lot of these procedures with the AGCO, exactly. with the fire marshals, with the police. So you've got this all on on so, file. Yep. Send Your it insurance over. company wants to see it as well.
3: Absolutely. Okay. So Um, Just think of us as the partner with all of these people that you've, you know, sort of already discussed this with. Um, You got your permits from fire marshal, et cetera. So we need to know exactly where everything is going to be and if it's easily accessible for things like public transit. So we identify Toronto Island. So they have the ferry shuttle. um, And then once you're across onto mainland, then you are able to catch, you know, a streetcar or a subway or a bus or a train. You know we really as much as you know it seems a little bit um onerous to go back and forth on the ferry we we really like that you are going to be downtown toronto central area there's lots of um, availability for uh accessibility home so So
1: obviously your comfort level seems pretty high let's throw a (laughs) curveball okay yeah now (laughs) we're off the island and we're in a farmer's field somewhere hosting an event whether it's a plowing match or the same similar concert (laughs) Your evacuation plan, plan is similar, whether you go through the parking and an evacuation of the facility. And
3: so that would be a bit different. Um, you know, you're going to be in the middle of nowhere and y- there's probably not if there's a shuttle to a certain point. then you know, that's fabulous. That's great. We have, you know, we're minimizing the drinking and driving. But when it's out in the middle of nowhere and there is no shuttle there, there's no um, meeting spot or, you know. um an Uber, you know, Uber doesn't necessarily exist out where some of these festivals are. Um, you need to make sure that you are checking drivers or having police there um, directing traffic and and checking for drunk drivers. Because if somebody drinks and drives and kills somebody on the way home from your event, you know, you, that that's that's kind of on you, and you, so again, you don't lo- want to see that.
1: Location and uh, accessibility to public transport that's, that's is going big. to help your yeah your policy
3: very helpful yeah for that
1: specific example where the parking is
0: i probably would never have said this until this year but is it on gravel or is it on dry grass
3: yep (laughs) that's
0: probably a question i would ask now which i wouldn't have asked three months ago four months ago Mm -hmm. um because we all know what happens when you park on hot dry grass
3: so yeah
0: that that's probably another one again is i i would want to see the site plan as a broker that's probably key as soon as you see that you can start building questions and I think that even yeah. for Aaron once you see that the questions are gonna start turning um, most often you can't just get all the questions out of the way right in the beginning a lot of times it's back and forth back and forth a little bit and that's why we say start early um, don't rush this the last weekend because you know you got your you got your premium and you're not happy with it so you're gonna start shopping around a week in advance get going early so
1: Okay, Aaron, So we have got our site picked out, and you've yep. identified the risks and potentials from there. Yep. So now, obviously, you're into weather.
3: Now we're into weather. Um, of course, we you know we're we're not meteorologists, and you know we don't know what's going to happen a month away from from today's date. And um, but what you can do is you can kind of you can gauge it based on, on past years. And, and are you
1: looking at the farmer's almanac?
3: i personally am not um if you would like to please feel free to go ahead um i use i actually use the uh canadian meteorologist website and and it basically details um all the weather related events per month for x amount of years back so you know i guess it's the the updated version of that for an
1: outdoor festival Mm -hmm. is there an ideal time or period
3: that's and, and that's the funny thing, because the weather is, is ever changing, it's not the same as it was ten years ago, you know. We we had an ice storm in April this year, you know, and, and as far as I remember, April was just, you know, rainy, a little bit cold, not ice storm territory. So, you know, in August we could have a ton of rain, we could have absolutely no rain. So it there's no ideal time anymore. Um, it's more just doing what you can to be prepared for snow rain sun whatever you know so it's it's there's no ideal time and as
1: a planner am i this weather policy Mm -hmm. is it better to book it up front and as early as possible rather than (laughs) (laughs) obviously if you're waiting two weeks out your potential to forecast what might happen
3: um so personally at our at our firm um we only we will only bind coverage uh 14 days prior to the event at a very mi- like if it if it's tomorrow we we won't we won't underwrite it because you know
2: That's that's very standard. Yeah, yeah that's 14 very days standard. Is normal. Yeah. 14 days. Yeah.
3: And then, you know, usually I'd say 60 days out would be probably the max. Um again, we can't we can't plan for something that's going to happen 60 days which could or could not happen. So um you know, it's not something we would bind way way in advance, but also not to to, the, to so the then date.
1: you're getting into your artist contracts and
3: absolutely yeah so
1: what what should events look for there and share with the brokers and yourselves
3: so we need to know every act um we need to know how long they're going to be performing for um if it's a, like a single artist um it that's sort of one thing so it um versus a band where you know you have a five piece and you know the lead singer gets laryngitis and can't and can't go on um so you need to determine is it is it one person that's gonna be called the show off is it is it three is it the whole band um versus you know just a single performer where if they if they can't perform you know you you can probably back up with somebody else um so there's that. You have to go through the guarantees because, as we discussed on another on another show, um, you have to pay those. So, you know, if, if X performer is demanding $500,000 just to appear, you know, that that needs to be paid regardless. And um, so that's something that is factored into how we sort of come up with our premiums uh, in terms of non-appearance.
1: Do you have an example of what... what might a premium be on a five hundred thousand dollar a day artist
3: um depending it depends on a
1: cancellation clause (laughs) it depends
3: on their age unfortunately um it depends on their age how long they're supposed to be there for what they're doing if it's sort of like a more high risk you know like something like for example Cirque du Soleil or you know you know as opposed to a, a pianist or something like that um for about 500,000, it could be good five grand. like that that's that's a big guarantee like you would be getting into you know Rolling Stone's territory here. <laughs> so yeah. I was gonna say Keith Richards <laughs> yeah. not, might not be your example. Yeah, yeah. I, I personally wouldn't do it, but that doesn't yeah. mean other people won't. but uh, yeah, so it, it can be costly depending on those factors.
1: Okay, so we've got our artists taken care of. Artists taken um, care of. Foods on site. Correct. Our vendors, we might have food trucks. We might have uh, rotary clubs running barbecues. Or Absolutely. Whatever. So how, how does that affect your premiums?
3: So we need to know, um, so that's what we call subcontractors. So we need to know who is doing the subcontracted work, what they're doing, so the food or, or the alcohol or whatever. Um, and we need to know that those subcontractors have their own insurance in place so what we request is a certificate of insurance so you as the for, the festival organizer need to go to every vendor and say do you have insurance please provide me with a certificate confirming that you do have insurance and on things like um putting up stages so stage direction any anything that could potentially you know harm somebody that that's coming in and being taken down same day uh, you need to be added as an additional insured and this is where your broker comes in and they can sort of help you with the logistics of all of that and and tell you who to go to what to ask so that you know partnering with your broker in that regard is is a big a big big help for you there
2: and and just to quickly jump in with that not to plug event insure but we have a real quick turnaround for vendors and food vendors non-food vendors where you know we could easily do it same day if not same hour to get them coverage and oftentimes for smaller ones uh, they don't think they need the coverage and frankly they haven't planned for it so they don't have the coverage but we can turn it around very quickly if needed
1: Okay, so we've been through our safety and security plan, yep. we've been through our venue, yep. we've been through our weather, mm-hmm. we've had our artist and artist cancellation, yep. we've had our vendors and suppliers. Yep. What else should we be looking for? What are we? What have we missed in that equation? Or from an event point of view, are we sort of covered at that point?
3: On a very, very high level? that's kind of the basics I would say um, and then there are nuances so for example you know you have some music festivals where it's music but then they also have you know things like BMX biking on on a side stage or fire breathing or you know and those things sort of take their, their it's so almost like a acts. exactly yeah. so you you almost need a full separate set of questions for those side events kind of thing so um, if it's just straightforward music, that's, you know, on a very high level, the basics.
2: And some additional ones would be if there's a parade, if there's yes. fireworks, or pyrotechnics, or getting into, you know, juggling with risky items or axe throwing, for example. Exactly,
3: yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think the, the next one would be um, additional security, for example, like we spoke the other with blocking off side streets and things like that and kind of directing and keeping keeping everyone kind of contained so that you know where they're going instead of just total chaos and people wandering the streets.
1: And that's all part of your site safety plan. And yeah, your exactly. Site plan. Yeah. 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 And then, I mean, as we go down further, you get into your li- your general liabilities, yes. your board coverages. Exactly. And, and your <laughs> yeah. standard yeah. Yeah. everyday operating that's right. stuff that we've already talked about. Yeah. 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 So so there's a quick scenario on how <laughs> an insurance broker and how an insurance provider look at an event and and measure their risk as opposed to how some things happen. Mm back in just a minute with feel on the air
4: festivals and events ontario has entered the world of podcasting with feel on the air join us as we sit down and chat with the movers and shakers of the festivals and events community the goal is to share insight advice planning techniques and overall strategy with you our feel members on the next podcast would you like us to interview someone specific cover a particular topic answer a question let us know FIO On The Air wants to give you what you need to succeed. Contact us now, Dave at FestivalsAndEventsOntario.ca
0: Welcome back. FIO On The Air continues. Here again is our host, Dave
2: McNeil.
1: We're back with Theo on the air, Eric Davidson, Peter Locke from Event Insure, and Aaron Wilkinson from Signature, Signature Live. <laughs> <to join us. laughs> um, and we're talking about risk management and emergency preparedness. So let's just do a, a final around the table. Um, last word, Aaron, from your perspective on uh, risk management and, and uh, preparedness.
3: So you can never be pr- too prepared. You know, you don't want to cause chaos. You don't You don't want to have people panicking, but you need to be mindful of, of everything that's going on around you and just thinking what could go wrong. Um, but then also thinking what could go right and how that could affect, you know, things later down the line in, on your festival lineup. So just, just being mindful and and being prepared is basically all I can say.
1: Eric?
0: I would say, make don't be afraid to ask questions to your broker. Um, we're, we're there to help you out. We're not, we're not the enemy. Communication's key, and making sure that everyone knows what the plan is. If if it's just the top, the top dogs know, then
2: when things go wrong, it's not going to work out. You, everyone needs to know what's going on. And Peter, um, I think just um, starting from the application phase, as much information as possible. We try not to make it too. Um, too difficult. The questions are fairly general, but um, don't omit anything, even if you think it might be, um, you know, something that's a little bit risky. We we'd want to know that, not to penalize premium-wise, but to also help in terms of planning for something. Uh, potentially hazardous hazardous
1: and i know from the feel point of view in our newsletter we're constantly bringing forward different elements that have happened in the industry and you know keep keep abreast talk and and network with your peers about what they've run into and different experiences they've had because it's we're all in the same program and uh, you know, that knowledge base is best shared. So that's right. Um, Thank you all for joining us. You've been listening to Feo on the Air. If you have something you'd like to talk about, simply give me a shout. I'm Dave at festivalandeventsontario.ca and we'll be happy to make that happen. Thanks for listening to this edition of Feo on the Air.
0: Thanks for listening to Feo on the Air, the voice of festivals and events in Ontario.